On this second Sunday of Eastertide, I greet you in the name of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. That beautiful song, thank you song, that Gina and the choir just sang inspires me to say something to you. I want to thank this congregation and Pastor Jeff for not letting me be retired. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I am convinced that having the opportunity to share the gospel with you is not only part of God's plan for my life, but keeps me going and growing. Thank you, Mount Horeb. Now, the scripture for today is, comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. I'll begin reading with verse 3. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then go down to verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. In the year 1995, not too long ago, I actually celebrated Easter twice in the same year. Let me tell you about it. On April 23rd of that year, I celebrated at my home church, which was then Christ United Methodist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And then the day after that, I caught a plane to Russia, traveled to the city of Piskov. And the reason I did that, give you a little background, five years earlier, uh, right after the fall of the Soviet Union, 
My church in Memphis got word that there was a group of about a dozen Russians in Piskov who wanted to start a new Methodist church. So, four of our laymen traveled to Piskov. Well, the word, what they found out in Piskov was the word they had gotten was not exactly right. There were a dozen people over there who wanted to find out what Christianity was all about. So my four laymen had to back up and just share the gospel. Who says you need a clergy around to share the gospel? So they had a dozen folks there in Fiskoff who received Christ as their Savior and Lord and then set about founding a church, a Methodist church, and that church grew like blazes. And so five years later, I flew over there uh, to worship with them. And you may know that in most of the Asian countries, which are under the influence of Eastern Orthodox Church, they celebrate Easter one Sunday later than we do, according to their calendar. And so, on April 30 of 1995, I had the privilege of worshiping with and preaching to that thriving congregation in Piscoff. And let me tell you, I believe I was, a, I was blessed as much by the second Easter as the first one. So today, I'm inviting you to do what I did in 1995, to celebrate a second Easter. And why is that important? Because the, the resurrection message is just too great, too awesome, too glorious to limit it to one Sunday. It, and after all, the reason that the Sabbath day was changed from Saturday to Sunday, Sunday was the day on which Jesus arose. The great New Testament scholar C.H. Dodd has written, the resurrection is not a belief that grew up within the church. No, it is the belief around which the church itself grew up. Now, no one can adequately describe the, the miracle, the majesty of resurrection, but I want you to listen as two great preachers give it a brief try. For example, I want you to listen to the words of the great, great African-American preacher, Gardner Taylor. In the imagination of the mind, I seem to see the night beginning to disappear. Morning begins to draw a thin pencil of light across the eastern sky. The sky begins to blush shyly at the love song of the dawn. The grave from which Abraham could not be extricated begins to tremble. Look at him. Look at him. The strong son of God lays aside those garments dipped in blood, steps forth in the morning light, and declares, I am he that was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And then here, resurrection talked about by the late great Peter Marshall. On a certain Sabbath, suddenly, at a given time between sunset and dawn, in that new tomb which had belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, there had been a fluttering of unseen forces, a rustling as of the breath of God moving through the garden. Strong, immeasurable life had been breathed back into the dead body that had been lain upon the cold stone slab. And the dead man had risen up, had come out of the grave clothes, 
had walked to the threshold of the tomb, had stood swaying for a moment on his wounded feet, and then walked out into the dewy garden forevermore. Yes, that's resurrection. St. Paul was the first person to give a written account of the resurrection of Jesus. And our text today, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, is the earliest written report on resurrection. It was written some 25 years after the resurrection happened and 15 years before the earliest of the four Gospels was written. In that great 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, St. Paul presents three great truths about the resurrection and that I want to try to plant on our hearts today. Here's the first one. The resurrection transforms the cross. You see, it was only in the brilliant light of Easter that the cross was transformed from just a cruel instrument of torture into a beautiful instrument for saving sinners. Before the resurrection, the cross was just one more example of what bad people can do to a good man. Before Easter, the cross was history's worst disaster. But the resurrection transformed the cross from tragedy to triumph, from an evil design of Satan into heaven's immaculate plan for the salvation of sinners. It's in the light of resurrection that St. Paul declared Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Never make the mistake of believing that Jesus died just as a heroic example. No, he did not die to express solidarity with the Jews. He did not die to express solidarity with the poor. He did not die because he was trapped by evil people. He died for our sins according to the deliberate plan of Almighty God. Now let me try as best I can to explain why the cross was necessary. God is a God of justice as well as love. God's justice cannot be compromised or abridged. God's justice demanded that sin be punished. Now, all of us sinners are under the indictment of sin. But then came Jesus, the only sinless person who ever lived. So, he was the only one who had the right and the moral standing to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of somebody else. And because he was the Son of God, he was great enough, loving enough, to be the atoning sacrifice of all believers of all generations. Now, that's as far as I can take you in explaining the cross. Because, you see, it's a God thing. It's a divine transaction. It's bigger than we can get our puny minds around. But that's okay. Because you don't have to get your mind around it. All you have to do is get your heart around it. Just as long as we can say sincerely, Jesus died on that cross for me. And let me tell you, when I stand at the doors of eternity one day, 
thank the Lord. No angel is going to pull my moral record to see if I'm good enough to get in. No angel is going to evaluate me, my pedigree or my philosophy or my talents. No. There will be some kind of sign on me. Sometimes I think it's the, it'll be the sign of the cross on my forehead that will indicate that at some point in my earthly life, I confessed my sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And that will be my entrance exam. Maybe some angel will say to me, Hey, Brother Bill, your debt has been paid. Thank God for the cross. That's the first truth. The resurrection transforms the cross. Here's the second truth about resurrection. The resurrection humbles death and opens heaven's doors. All those verses 55 through 57 are so lyrical that we've been singing them ever since. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, in America today, it's a sad fact that there is one five-letter word that is considered more vulgar than any four-letter word. And I'll tell you what that five-letter word is. Death. D-E-A-T-H. In this culture, you, you, you're taught, don't mention that. If you have to refer to it, talk about passing away or, or maybe just passing. Because our secular culture is terrified of death. Terrified. I mean, if you want to break up a cocktail party, just drift around and say to a few folks, hey, have you thought about your upcoming death? I mean, they'll hustle to the door. But we Christian people are different. It's not that we deny death. We don't. But we see it in the light of the resurrection. We are not terrified by death. We are not intimidated by it. That does not mean we befriend death. No, no, no. We know that death is the final enemy. It's not a creation of God, but a result of sin. And yes, all of us dread the possible loss of some of our faculties before we die or the experience of uh, extreme pain, yes. But we know that on the other side of death is the glory of heaven for every believer. This earthly life is the prelude to the main event. Some years ago, in a former church I was serving, uh, had a good friend named Hayward. Hayward was in his mid-80s, and one day I was visiting him in his home. And uh, in the course of conversation, he said, Brother Bill, uh, whenever the time comes, I would like for you to conduct my funeral. And without thinking too much, I said, Brother Hayward, I can't think of anybody's funeral I'd rather conduct than yours. Now, <laughs> I knew that didn't sound too good. So I tried again. I said, Brother Hayward, it'll be a privilege to bury you. I should have left well enough alone. And Hayward and I both laughed. And later I thought, isn't it amazing? Hayward is talking about his own funeral 
and he dares to laugh. Why? Because he shares the victory over death through Jesus Christ. I guess over the past years, I have participated in countless Easter sunrise services. But the one that stands out in my mind, it was in the mid-80s. I was pastor in Columbia, and five churches in our general neighborhood jointly sponsored this Easter sunrise service. And that particular year, it was held in the front yard of a Baptist church. And it was a cold morning, I remember, and folks were standing close together and bundled up because of the cold. And just before I started to preach, I noticed a car that was driven, had been driven up as close to the crowd as possible, and I recognized who was seated in the passenger side. Uh, it was one of my church members named Jimmy. And Jimmy was in his final stages fighting cancer. And Jimmy knew that this would likely be his last Easter on this earth. And I was so glad that the PA system was working for his benefit. Why was Jimmy there? Why had he persuaded his wife to get up early and drive him to the Easter summertime? Because he wanted to hear one more time the assurance that Jesus had conquered death and it paved the way for every single believer to reach heaven's doors. The late great actress Helen Hayes grieved deeply when her 19-year-old daughter died of polio. And Helen Hayes said that she wondered if she could ever get over it in any way. Her key to survival was the assurance that God gave her of a life after death. Helen Hayes said this, I always feel, even when I'm tired and feeling my years, ah, I'll be seeing Mary again. The glorious resurrection message is that life for us does not stop when death comes. Death is not a wall. It's a doorway into the glories of heaven. And so Jesus promised, because I live you also will live. That's the second truth about resurrection. Here's the third one. For the resurrection to be real, it must be personal. R remember this. Even though Jesus predicted his resurrection numerous times, his disciples didn't believe it. They didn't believe that Jesus had risen until they count encountered him the risen Lord. And as for Mary Magdalene, who went to the tomb on Easter morning, she didn't expect to find a risen Lord. She expected a dead body that she could anoint. And when she encountered that man in the garden, she thought he was the gardener. She didn't believe in the resurrection until that man whispered her name as only Jesus could, Mary and as for St. Paul, in his pre-conversion days, he had heard about Jesus' resurrection, but he didn't believe a word of it. And in fact, he persecuted, tried to kill off those who did believe it. But one day, in the year 35 AD, just five years after the resurrection, outside the city of Damascus, 
the risen Christ got intensely personal with Paul. He was stricken to the ground as with a lightning bolt. And Jesus spoke to him and claimed his eternal soul. Writing about that dramatic encounter, 20 years later, Paul wrote this. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. A Christian is one who can say by faith, I know that Jesus is risen because he lives in my heart. The faith of my preacher is not enough. The faith of my Sunday school teacher is not enough. The faith of my parents is not enough. No one can do your believing for you. That faith in the risen Christ must be your own. Once there was a man named George who was accustomed to driving his wife Rosie to church every Sunday. George and Rosie had been married 40 years and were deeply devoted to each other. Uh, they were virtually inseparable except for one area of their lives. On Sunday morning, George would drive Rosie to church. She would get out and go in, but he would stay in the car and read his newspaper. And then, after a short illness, Rosie died. And George's car was no longer seen at the church on Sunday mornings. But about three months later came Easter Sunday. And suddenly George's car was there again. And this time George went into the service. And the pastor preached a stirring sermon on the resurrection. And then at the end of the sermon, as was the preacher's custom, and it was a small congregation, he invited people in the congregation to respond. For a few moments, nobody said anything, but then George stood up and he shouted, Rosie lives. And with that, with a beautiful baritone voice, he broke into his favorite song about Rosie. My wild Irish rose the sweetest flower that grows. Well, after he had sung a couple of notes, somebody joined in with him, and then another person, and then the whole congregation, suddenly singing, my wild Irish rose, the sweetest flower that grows. Suddenly, a sacred song was turned into a beautiful Easter hymn. Rosie lives because Jesus lives. Now, no one fully understands that Jesus lives until he lives in your heart. Uh, it's when you have in your own heart the sense of his nearness and power. Ah, then you know the truth of resurrection. And maybe there's somebody here this morning or within the sound of my voice who does not have that assurance. And maybe they're thinking, oh, Brother Bill, I wish I had that assurance. Well, I think I know a way. I think I know a way. Uh, I call it 24 days of discovery. You see, the Gospel of Luke, which I think is the most readable of the four, has 24 chapters. I'm going to give you a challenge. Take one chapter a day, read it, and then have a few moments to talk with God in prayer. And in that prayer... I want you to make this simple request, and I'll say it twice. Lord, 
please make your presence real in my life. Lord, please make your presence real in my life. Let me tell you, the Lord can't resist a, a, an invitation like that because that's his fondest desire for you anyway. So I dare you to try. That's my challenge. If you want that assurance, try the 24 days of discovery. The living Christ will make resurrection real in your life. That incomparable evangelist, Billy Graham, entered heaven four years ago. Thankfully, his message is still being heard, right? right? His son, Franklin, is on TV, in t on TV all the time, sharing the gospel. Back in the year 2000, 18 years before Billy Graham died, he was honored by his hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. All kind of events, and there was a special luncheon at which Billy Graham spoke. And on that occasion, he told a story about... Uh, Albert Einstein, the great physicist. And it was generally known that though Einstein was brilliant and was a genius, he was notoriously absent-minded and forgetful about small practical things. One day he was taking a train trip from Princeton to New York City. And uh, the conductor came down the, the aisle clipping everybody's ticket. And Einstein could not find his ticket. So the conductor stood there waiting as Einstein searched through all of his pockets. Couldn't find his ticket. Finally, the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about this. I know who you are. And Einstein replied, young man, I know who I am too. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> and then Billy Graham said in his luncheon address, he said, I want you to notice the suit I'm wearing. It's brand new. Uh, my wife and children uh, chided me that I was not dressed fashionably enough. So I went out and bought this suit for this occasion and for one other occasion. This is a suit in which I'm going to be buried. But when you hear that I have died, I don't want you to think about this suit. I want you to remember I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. Billy Graham was declaring the truth of resurrection, which is the cornerstone of our faith. A woman up in Greenville, South Carolina, Helen J. Frick, penned this poem about resurrection. What does it mean to me personally? The stone rolled away, the empty tomb, the angel's message, he is not here, he is risen. This, surely this, that on the final page of my brief life, it shall not read in dull, dead, black, the end. No, but crimson bright, indelible and shining there, to be continued. I invite you to join with me and Christians of the past 2,000 years who have shared this same Easter affirmation Jesus is risen, and you respond, he is risen indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are in awe over the greatest victory in history, 
when your son, our Lord, emerged from that stony cave outside Jerusalem, conquering sin and death, we express our profound gratitude. And we make just two requests. First, there are people here or online whose hearts are still breaking because death has separated them from someone they love. Comfort them with an assurance that they will see their loved ones again. And second, Lord, there may be someone here or online who does not have an assurance that you are truly a risen living Lord. If any person reaches out to you through the 24 days of discovery, please make your presence felt in his or her life. Finally, on this second Sunday of Eastertide, we join the saints of all generations in declaring, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Amen.